Microsoft Story Classic, bringing to you recordings of old storybooks. The Thorn in the Nest, Episode 7 There was as yet no post office in Chili Coffee and no regular mail. One came occasionally, brought by a man on horseback, and its arrival was always an event fraught with deep interest to most of the inhabitants. This occurred during Kenneth's absence for the first time in many weeks. There was a letter for him from Glen Forest, of which Dale took possession, paying the postage. When will Kenneth be home? he asked Ze of Zeb, who was lounging before the office door. Don't know, saw. He didn't say, saw. Where did he go? Don't know, saw. Said he went on a hunt. Wouldn't be home for two or three days. Two or three days? And he's been gone nearly a week, exclaimed Dale, stepping into his office. Nearly a week, he went on thinking aloud as he seated himself at his desk and laid the letter on it. I wonder if we shouldn't turn out in a body and hunt for him. He may have met with an accident or treacherous savage. He frowned anxiously at the letter for a moment, then with sudden recollection, turned from it to busy himself with his own correspondence. Several letters had come for him, and they must be read, digested, and answered. They absorbed his attention for some hours. Then came the call to supper, and still Dr. Clennanan was missing. Dale was growing very uneasy. Kenneth had become as a brother to him. I must do something, he said to himself on his return to his office, taking up the letter again and gazing earnestly at it. What can have become of him? Where can he have gone? If he isn't here within an hour, I shall go and consult the Major. Ah, he went on musingly, still gazing at the missive in his hand. Wouldn't he put spurs to his horse if he knew that this was here waiting for him? That is, if he's alive and free. How eager he always is for these letters, yet never opens one before anybody, never alludes to their contents, and they always seem to increase that mysterious trouble that he keeps so carefully to himself and tries so hard to throw off, even when he and I are quite alone together. But at that instant there was a sound of horse hoofs in the street without, then a glad exclamation from Zeb. Kim Doctor, thought the inn has got you this time, sir. And throwing down the letter, Dale rushed to the door to greet his friend. Kenneth was in the act of dismounting, saying in a kindly tone to Zeb as he gave him the reins, No, here I am, quite safe. Has there been any letter or message for me? Yes, there was a mail today, Dale said, stepping forward and grasping his friend's hand with affectionate warmth. A letter for you. Come in, I have it here. But, with a look of surprise and concern at the haggard face and drooping figure, you are ill, my dear fellow. Not at all, only somewhat weary and worn, Kenneth answered with a faint smile that had neither mirth nor gladness in it. But the letter, Godfrey, is it from Glen Forest? Yes, the superscription I noticed is in the usual hand, postmark the same as on the others. Here it is. Take this chair, and while you read, I'll run over and tell Tiffin to see that they get a hot supper ready for you. Putting the missive into Kenneth's eager, almost trembling hand, he hurried away before the latter could utter a word of thanks. 
For weeks, Kenneth had been hungering for this letter. Yet now that he held it in his hand, he seemed to have need to gather up courage for its perusal. For a moment he sat with closed eyes, lips moving, though no sound came from them. Then he broke the seal and read, at first eagerly, hastily, with bated breath, then turning back to the beginning, with more care and deliberation, dwelling upon each sentence, while the shadow deepened on his brow. And again and again his broad breast heaved with a heavy sigh. At length, at the sound of approaching footsteps, he rose and retreated to his own office, at the same time refolding the letter and putting it in his pocket. Dell had delayed purposely on his errand, stopping to chat now with one, now with another, in the tavern, then in the street. At his own door he was met by Major Lamar with the question, Any news of the doctor yet? Yes, he's just back, looking quite worn out, too. Ah, oh, I'm sorry to hear that. I can see him, I suppose? Oh, yes, walk right in. I left him. Why, no, he isn't here. Sit down, Major, and I'll hunt him up. But here, let us go back and tell of some occurrences of the previous day in the Major's family. Early in the afternoon, Tig was standing with elbows on the fence and chin in hands, lazily watching the sports of the children as they vied with each other in the agility with which they could leap over stumps and logs. When Sylvie's voice came sharply to his ears, Tig left Pilsless, sir. You lazy! What you doin', Dar? Didn't I tell you to clean de knives? Now Miss Nell is ready for to go ridin', and you just go right long and fotch de horses round soon ever you can get them saddled. Am I to go long, Mother? queried Tig, turning with a velocity to obey, for the horses were the pride of his heart. A ride with Miss Nell his greatest delight, especially when he was her sole companion and protector, and today he thought he should be, as he knew of no other escort. His mother's reply confirmed his hopes. Of course you is. You always gets that honor when you dar ain't no gentleman bout. Tig made haste to the stable, saddled and bridled fairy, and a pony belonging to the major with unaccustomed speed, and led them round to the front door where Miss Nell was waiting in riding hat and habit. You were very quick this time, Tig, she said with an improving smile. Kai, Miss Nell, he answered, grinning from ear to ear. No wonder I's in a big hurry lest some dim gentleman bout be come along for we gets off. What gentleman, Tig? she asked, laughing as she stepped up on the horse block and sprang lightly into the saddle. Oh, de doctor, or Mr. Dale, or some dem other gentleman. Tain't often dis child gets a chance to take care of you, Miss Snail. Do you think you can take care of her, Tig? asked Mrs. Lamar, coming to the door with a basket in her hand. Guess I can, mistress. I ain't afraid no one, nor bars, nor painters cried the boy, straightening himself with an air of injured dignity. Don't boast, Tig, till your courage has been put to the test, answered his mistress. Here, take this basket and see if you can get it full of ripe mulberries for tea. Now I really don't feel quite sure that I ought to let you go without a better protector. Nonsense, Claire. I've done it before, returned the young girl, her collar rising, and the responsibility is not yours. I'm old enough to decide such matters for myself. And with that, she touched Fairy lightly with the whip and cantered off, Tig falling close in her rear. It was a lovely summer afternoon, the heat of the sun tempered by a cool, refreshing breeze. Fairy had scarcely been out of the stable for a day or two and was full of 
spirit and now revealed in the light of dashing away at almost headlong speed through the forest and over the prairies so enjoyable did she find the swift movement with the sense of wild freedom it gave her the beauty of the landscape the sweet scent of the woods and wild flowers that she went much farther than she had at first intended or indeed was aware of then coming back she stopped with Tig under a cluster of mulberry trees on the edge of a prairie to fill the basket with fruit not caring to stain her pretty fingers she left the boy to fulfill the task alone while she wandered to and fro gathering flowers the sun was getting low as they remounted we must hurry Tig Nell said glancing uneasily toward the west I did not think we had been here so long they sped across the prairie and entered the wood that lay between it and the town here was already dusk and Nell urged fairy on her heart beating fast while she glanced hither and thither seeming to see an indian a bear a wolf or panther behind every tree suddenly she caught sight of a pair of fairy eyes glaring upon her from an overhanging branch and the next instant with a low fierce growl something leaped upon the back of her horse a huge paw was laid on her shoulder a hot breath fanned her cheek while a wild shriek from tig rang in her ears and fairy reared and snorted with fear oh the mortal terror that seized upon now almost freezing the blood in her veins Closing her eyes, she leant forward and threw her arms about the neck of her pony, clinging to it in frantic terror for what seemed an age of suffering, but was in reality scarcely a moment. A bullet sped by, an unerring hand struck the panther in the eye, and it fell to the ground, dead. A horseman, hurrying from the direction of the town, put spurs to his steed at sound of the report of the gun, and almost before its echoes had died away, Nell was in her brother's arms. He soothed and caressed her, she lying on his breast, sobbing and speechless with fright. Ugh! Big fellow! grunted a voice near at hand, and Nell, looking up, saw a tall Indian standing over the prostrate wildcat, the outline of whose form could be dimly discovered in the fading light. Why will wa said the major, holding out his hand to the chief, you have saved my sister's life, and I can never fully return the obligation. Come with us to Chillicothe. My house shall be your home whenever you choose to make it so. While Will away grasped the offered hand in one of his own, while with the other he held the bridle of Fairy, who was shying at the dead panther, and trembling and snorting with fear. Indian, good gun, he said. Indian, go to white man's wigwam. Come, white squaw, very much frayed. Yes, Nell, we had better go, for it grows darker every moment. Can you sit your horse now? Yes, she whispered, I must. But, oh, Piercy, keep close to me. As close as I can, I will lead your horse, he answered, as he placed her in the saddle. But where is Tig? I thought he was with you. Tig had fled in overpowering terror at the instant of the discharge of what Willoway's gun, and on reaching home they found him there telling an incoherent story of attacking Indians and wildcats that filled the household with alarm. Great was their relief at the sight of the Major and his sister, though Nell was in a state of nervous prostration and excitement that made it necessary to put her at once to bed and watch by her during the night. The next day she was but little better, and on her account her brother had been anxiously looking for Dr. Clendenin's return, and had now come in search of him. 
Kenneth was not long in making his appearance. His manner was calm and quiet as usual, and shaking hands with the Major, who expressed hearty satisfaction at seeing him again, he asked if the family were all well. All but Nell was the reply, and I don't know that there's much amiss with her, but I should like you to see her. She had a terrible fright yesterday, and doesn't seem to get over it. Kenneth's look was anxious and inquiring. I suppose you had heard, the Major began, but Dale interrupted. No, no, he hasn't had time to hear anything yet, or even to eat, and here comes Zeb with his supper. I told him to bring it over to your office, Doctor. Thank you, said Kenneth, but it can wait. I will go with you at once, Major. But the Major would not hear of it. There is no hurry, he insisted. Besides, you ought to hear the story of her fright before seeing her, and may as well do so while breaking your fast. Kenneth yielded, for he had not tasted food since early morning, and felt it in sore need of it. What can we do for her? asked the Major in conclusion. Divert her mind from the subject as much as possible, returned the doctor. Dosing is not what she needs. My opinion exactly, responded the Major, but I must crave your assistance in applying your prescription. Certainly, my dear, dear sir, I will do my best. It was a fair summer evening. The sun was just touching the treetops as Kenneth left his office in company with the Major. People were gathered about the doors of their dwellings or places of business. The day's work done for most of the men, though the busy housewives still plied the needle, sewing or knitting, thus exemplifying the truth of the old adage, man's work is from the sun to sun, but a woman's work is never done. Children played hide-and-seek among the trees, their glad voices ringing out upon the quiet air, and merry shouts and silvery laughter, but many of them, on catching sight of Kenneth, left their sport to run and take him by the hand, welcoming him with eager delight and asking him where he had been so long. Older people, too, crowded about him with a like greeting and the same question. He parried it at be as best he might, not feeling disposed to be communicative on the subject, returned the handshakings and kindly greetings, and asked after the health of each family represented. "'You have won all hearts here, Dr. Clendenin,' the Major remarked, when at length they had parted with the last of the friendly interrogators and were drawing near his own door. "'Oh, I believe it is so,' Kenneth answered, with a glad lighting up of his grave, almost sad face, "'and I sometimes wonder how it has come about. "'Love begets love, and so it is with disinterested kindness also,' the Major answered. "'Mrs. Lamar, coming to meet them, caught the last words quite true,' she assented, holding out a hand to Kenneth, "'and I know of no one else in whose case we see such an exemplification of that fact as in Dr. Clendenin's doctor running away so suddenly and mysteriously you left many an anxious heart behind you she gave him a look of keen curiosity as she spoke but he would not take the hint my friends are very kind and i would not willingly cause them a moment's uneasiness was all he said it was gently spoken but tone and manner did not invite a further display of the inquisitiveness Nell, seated in the doorway, in a listless attitude, rose suddenly on perceiving her brother's approach and who was with him, and overcome by an unaccountable fit of shyness, hastily retreated into the house, her heart beating fast, the hot blood dyeing her cheek. Then, much vexed with herself, she turned at the sound of Kenneth's voice, saying, "'Good evening,' and gave him her hand with a murmured, "'How do you do, doctor?' 
He made her sit down, and drew up a chair for himself close to her side. Don't be afraid of me, because I come in my professional capacity, he said, in a playful tone, again taking her hand and laying a finger on her pulse. You needn't, she said with a little pout, and seeming half inclined to jerk the hand away. I'm not sick. I wonder what nonsense Piercy's been telling you. There they were alone. The major and his wife had wandered on up the street. The children were sporting outside with their mates. None at all, he answered with his grave smile, only that your nerves have had a shock from which they do not find it easy to recover. I'm not sick, and I won't be called nervous. I just wish people would let me alone, she cried angrily, bursting into tears in spite of herself. Oh dear, oh dear, she sobbed. I don't know what has come over me. I never was so ill-tempered or so babyish before. Don't be vexed with me for saying it is because you are not well, he answered soothingly. Let the tears have their way, and they will relieve you greatly. She cried quite heartily for a moment, then wiping away her tears, she said with a half-averted face, and in a tone of suppressed horror, shuddering as she spoke, Oh, I cannot forget it! Those fairy eyes gleaming out at me in the darkness, the heavy paw on my shoulder, the hot breath on my cheek. I seem to see the, and feel them all the time, sleeping or waking. What shall I do? Try to forget it, he said gently. Turn your thoughts as much as possible to other things, and the effect of your fright will gradually wear away. I cannot forget it, she answered sadly. I shall always be afraid to go into the woods now, and my walks and rides were the greatest pleasures I had. Ah, well, he said, the wild animals will soon be driven from our immediate neighborhood. And in the meantime, you must go well protected. My dear Miss Snell, he added in lower, sweeter tones, you know there is one whose protecting care is over us at all times and in all places. Try to trust in him with a simple, childlike confidence. Such faith, faith will do more to give you calmness and peace than anything else can. A moment's pause, then turning the conversation upon other things, he exerted himself for her entertainment till the major and his wife came in when he shortly took his leave for there were other patients requiring his attention thank you for listening to another episode of acresoft story classic